start today's message. Today's message is a standalone message. I called it Rest Assured. And there's something about this week that the Lord's been speaking to me about rest and assurance. And that everything that we need, everything that we think we need, everything that maybe sometimes we're worried about, God is in control. And everything that we try to plan for, maybe you try to purposely, you know, uh, get yourself into a place of purpose, God already has equipped us and he's empowered us. He already knows what you need. He already has made a way for you, especially if you're a follower of Jesus today. I'm speaking to you that God already has destined you. And sometimes we have a tendency of not walking in that. In other words, we're always looking for the future. But rest assured, God is in control. He is in control. So our scripture focus for today is from Exodus 14, Exodus 14, verse 5 to 22. Exodus 14, verse 5 to 22. If you have the word of God, say amen. Amen. It don't matter if it's on your phone, your iPad, if you got paper. Maybe you get some extra rewards for having the paper when you get to heaven, you know? And you don't get distracted on Facebook while I'm preaching. So that's always a, a plus, right? Don't lie. Some of y'all are surfing the internet while I'm preaching on Sundays. It's okay. We're going we're gonna to have a camera up right behind you. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, we don't. We don't have a camera. Even though there is a camera, I, don't, I think it's recording me maybe. Verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the Israelites... Leaving Egypt, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers all uh, over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Then we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Man, things change quick, doesn't it? It's kind of like life. Things change really quick. One moment, everything's going good. The next moment, you're like... I just want to go back to peace and quiet. 
I just want to go back to when things were the way I liked them. I like this following Jesus thing, but now that I have to pay a price, (laughs) now that I may die in the desert, I may choose differently. I thought it was a good dream that God asked me to start a business. I thought it was a good dream that God asked me to do something boldly for him. I, I thought it was a good, courageous moment in the altar when I poured out my tears before him and the Lord said, this is it. And you move towards that. And while you're moving towards the promise, you figure out that it's not as easy as you think it's going to be. You figure out that you may actually die in the way, on the way to the promise. So Moses was being yelled at. And in verse 13, he replies to them. He says, do not be afraid. I don't know where he's getting this stuff from. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. God had told him this is going to happen, but he didn't say how he was going to deliver them. He's just out of faith, stepping out and just saying and being positive. Hundreds and thousands of people (laughs) screaming at you and you're saying, hey, stand firm, calm down. Look, I know the best army in the world is about to kill all of us. Calm down, everybody. (laughs) Stand firm. God will deliver us. How? I don't know. But God will deliver us. And he goes on. To continue, and he says, as the Egyptians you see today, even more boldly, he goes up to the next level. You you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Some of the versions say silent. Some of the versions say peace. I don't know what translation you have I want you to underline that verse the Lord will fight for you you need only to be still then the Lord said to Moses why are you crying out to me tell the Israelites to move on raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea On dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of the Lord, who had been traveling in front, of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. 
The waters were divided, and the Israelites went to the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. You know the rest of the story. They make it through the water on dry ground, probably freaked out. Can you imagine? The waters still on either side. How many of us would be even scared to just go in there? I'd be running so fast trying to get to the other side. I mean, you're seeing fish on the ground probably. You're probably seeing some like sea matter. And you're walking through the middle. You see dry ground on the other side. And you're running through. And the Lord basically right when the last Israelite walks through. And when Pharaoh's army comes through, the waters come back and take out the enemy. You know, one of the things in life is that we all face impossible situations. How many of you guys with a show of hands would say, right now, you are facing an impossible situation? I mean, it's okay to admit it. Because the truth is, we're human and we can only think about things so much. And the thing is, one of the things that the Lord revealed to me is, it's not so much that God can take away the impossible situations, because we know He can. But He's concerned about who we are in the impossible situation. I'll tell you why He's concerned about who we are in the impossible situation. It's because our God is a God of salvation. Our God is a God of saving. See, salvation is not just a moment that you gave your heart to God and you prayed a prayer and you're going to be in heaven. Did you know that how you live your life here after being saved matters greatly? In fact, all the time your faith is doing two things. Either it's going backwards or it's going forward. There is no standing still when it comes to this journey of salvation. See, saving is not what he does. Saving is who he is. There are times in our lives we find ourselves in these situations. Situations that are, you know, sometimes, I'm going to be honest, it's beyond our comprehension. Amen? You don't even understand it because you're not God. It's beyond our ability to navigate. Sometimes these choices are brought on by our own choices. Sometimes they're brought on by the choices of others. Sometimes they're brought on by a real enemy that is against the very existence of the potential of the saving work of Jesus Christ inside of us. And that person lurks around to steal and to kill and to destroy. Sometimes God allows circumstances. Did you hear me? God allows circumstances to shape us, not the other person on the other side. This is where the Israelites found themselves. They thought that once they left Egypt, as scripture says, they left boldly. Because they thought after all the plagues, it was all done and over with. So many times we walk with the Lord that way. You know, well, this last week was really good, so life is good. And then you get punched in the nose this week, and you're like, I'd rather die (laughs) 
last week, last year. Why, why am I dealing with the issue right now? So many times we forget the faithfulness of God. And I believe one of the reasons why we forget the faithfulness of God is because we actually want the comfort of salvation more than the process of salvation. We want it to be easy for salvation. In other words, in fact, that's one of the reasons why we repent so much. As, as a church, you know, we kind of like, this is why the confessional booth is very popular. Because we want it to be gone. We want this guilty feeling, the shame to be gone. There's nothing wrong with that. God always forgives. But when it comes to these situations in our life that God is trying to mold and shape us on the journey to the destination, we have a tendency to sometimes go backwards and literally say, I would rather be a slave to a foreign entity than walk towards the promise of God because it takes too much courage. It's too much of a price to pay. Let me give you a practical example. If there's someone in your family that you've been praying for, for their salvation, maybe they ain't living right, and you have tried and done everything you can, maybe the Lord gave you a promise and things were going well. Your marriage is going well. Your boss and, and you are having a good time and you got a raise and praise God, everything is going forward. And then all of a sudden you hit a hurdle. You lose your job. Out of the blue. Your marriage is on the rocks. Out of the blue. Your kids have gone crazy. Not out of the blue. <laughs> you find yourself in a place where maybe God is telling you, like, hey, you're, it's time for you to leave Cleveland. Go to California. Go to Tanzania. Go to Nepal. Go to China. And all of a sudden you're like, mm, I don't know about this. <laughs> I like leaving Egypt and being comfortable, but actually having to fight for things, actually having the Lord of salvation work out his saving grace in my life, I don't know. You know, there's that song that we sang, and it's an older song, Everlasting God. And it talks about that he will not faint. He will not grow weary. He lifts us up. He is the everlasting God. See, what do you do when you're a follower of Jesus and you've done everything you can do and you get to that point? It's the crossroads where the boys are separated from the men and the girls are separated from the women. The small gap between good to great. When we look at someone's life and we say, oh, look, look at how much faith they have. Look at the, their relationship with God. Look at the anointing on their life. Look at how freely they walk in this process of salvation. You know what the difference is? They are flat crazy in love with following Jesus. See, salvation is not a one-time event. It is a continual filtering and holiness process. 
Ephesians 6, 18 gives us a glimpse of what we ought to do in life. It comes out and tells us what to expect. It says this, pray in the spirit in every situation. Use every kind of prayer and request there is. That is such good advice for us. Why would we need to pray like this in every situation? If there wasn't trials, if there wasn't a process, why would we need to use every kind of prayer if this was going to be easy? One of the things I learned about the Lord is that he is zealous in his nature to save. Did you hear me? If you don't know what zealous means, that he is very passionate and driven and tenacious to want to save. And sometimes as followers of Jesus, we hold on to things. And he is asking us to loosen the grip a little bit so that he can work out his plan of salvation. In fact, 2019 ought to be a year that we lose control a little bit. Do you understand what I'm saying? Being a professional Christian, it, it'll take you so far. And it will. I promise you. It probably will make you perform really well. But you, when you put your head at bed, at bedtime, when you put, and your head hits the pillow, you know who you really are. You know where you really are. And I don't know if you're like me, I would rather have the God of salvation work out some things and release the burdens on my shoulder and walk life a little bit less in control because God is in control. And I'm telling you, some of us, we have, I, I'm very detail-oriented. I love analyzing things. I love putting things together strategically. I love planning. I love preparing. I love getting in there. I mean, I, you can even ask, you know, some of the guys around the building. Like, I know when something changes here or needs to change. I mean, you talk about praying through the Spirit. We got a couple of paint projects in the building, and every time I walk by it, I am praying resources right into that and saying, Lord, take care of this. But sometimes I have a tendency to get ahead of God. You understand? One of the reasons why there was a pillar of fire uh, at night and cloud by day is God had a way of moving the Israelites at the pace and rhythm of what they should have moved in. We ought to learn that the process of salvation has a rhythm and a process to it. It's like the guitar player. I, I play guitar. You can go fast and you can go slow in your rhythm. Okay? You can go fast and you can go We are not com- controlling the rhythm, folks. We are the guitar. He is the person playing the guitar. So sometimes we may want to go faster or slower. And God's saying go faster and in some case slow down. Be on pace with what he is doing. See the Israelites found themselves in a trap. I mean who knew that this God of salvation who rescued them from the grip of the Egyptians. The most powerful person in the world. They're all leaving. They were slaves. They're getting out there. 
And the Lord tells him to go wait by the sea. And you know the spot where the sea was? It was actually in between two mountains. And they were waiting in the valley. And not only were the Egyptians on their way and coming head forth, they were actually looking over them. Now, I don't know about you, but that's an easy place to question if Moses has been hearing from God or if you have been hearing from God. When your enemy is lurking over you and you're in an impossible situation, it's a good moment for you to say, you know what, I took this Christianity thing a little too serious. <laughs> Let me back up a bit. I'll go ahead and show up to church and let's relax. Let's just take it easy. But God had different plans because he is a zealous God. See, one of the things the Israelites did is they knew that Moses was hearing from God. So they would complain to him. They would reason with him. They would talk to him, but God was zealous of that. One of the things I've learned about in church is no matter what church you go to, no matter what church you come to, if you have a relationship with Jesus, God is always working on the inside. It don't matter what worship style, what city in the world, what country in the world, who the pastor is, old, young, middle-aged, man, woman. If God is working on the inside, there is going to be things that God wants to do in the inside. So why does God allow us to be in situations that seem impossible to overcome? Have you ever asked God that question? Like, why am I here? Why do you have the trouble that you have at work? Why do you have the trouble that you may be having in this city? Why are you having the trouble that you're having in your family? Like I said, it may be the enemy. It may be other people's choices. But what if God is actually allowing these things to shape who you are? What if at the end of this, you actually come out stronger, brighter, and deeper with the Lord. Are you willing to do it? This is the nature of faith. The only time as we as humans give up is when it's really bad. When it's really bad, we finally say, God, I've tried my six and a half times to work this out, so I'll finally give you a chance. And guess what God does? He works it out. I believe there's reasons why God allows impossible situations in our lives. I really do. And I've learned as a pastor to embrace it. Because most likely it has something to do with me and not the other person. In your marriage right now, if your marriage is failing and the Lord is speaking to you, I guarantee you he is starting with you first. If it has something to do with your workplace or if it has something to do with the relationships in your life, I guarantee you the Holy Spirit is asking you how you're going to change before the other situation or the other person is going to change. Because God cares more about who I am than what I can do for him. God cares more about me going through the process than the destination or the promise he's given me. Because God is a God of 
salvation. Here's the first reason why I believe that God allows impossible situations in our life. He makes salvation a personal experience. (laughs) Oh boy, man, that was so simple when I wrote down and I was chewing through it. And I said to myself, oh man, someone should have told me how much this was going to cost. Because I I would have said no to taking up my cross and walking after him daily. It's too hard to be American. And a Christian. It's too hard. What do you mean I can't satisfy myself? What do you mean I can't do things like I want to do it? What do you think? What do you mean I can't walk away and and move like how I want to? What do you mean I got to do what God's asking me to do? What do you mean God called you somewhere? I mean, it's supposed to be comfortable, right? Isn't heaven comfortable? Ephesians 14, 11 to 12, they said to Moses, <laughs> was it because there were no graves in Egypt, Moses, that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? You really said that? Did you guys really say that? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. How many times have we said these kind of things to the Lord? How many times have we literally made up regrets and taken it out on the Lord and said, You didn't really say this. I made it all up, God. It's too hard. I'd rather go back to what you told me not to do and not to be. Some of us even say, I would rather go back to not being a Christian. Some of us maybe have even adjusted our Christian volume. We're not as loud anymore. I'm just going to be nominal. I'm not going to take community seriously. I mean, pastor talking about unity and community. That's really nice and tweetable. But that ain't reality, pastor. You don't know what you're talking about. You got a seven-year-old, a two-year-old, and a four-month-old. What do you know about life? You know, it's interesting how we can communicate to ourselves and compartmentalize this personal experience with the Lord and have every reason in the world to go ahead and say why we should not do what God is telling us to do. And actually, some of these reasons are so good, even me as your pastor will actually agree with you. Because when I'm being communicated to, I'm like, well, I don't know if God spoke to you to, to leave Egypt. Maybe you're right. Maybe you need to go back. Because if these reasons really look like excuses, how many of us would actually use these reasons? See, some of us are on the verge of losing our faith. And we have put our faith in things like the church. We have put our faith in things like the preacher on the television screen. We have put our faith in the things or maybe even the community of the church. We have put our faith in even doing good works for the gospel in the city. But you're not interested in allowing the Lord to work out this personal salvation in your life. And the Lord is telling you today that is out of alignment. 
He cares more about what's happening on the inside. Show me what's happening inside your life. Don't show me what you're doing for the Lord. Don't show me your desire to do great things from the Lord when you have denied a great Lord from moving within your life. You can be kind and loving and tender and caring and gentle and it is not from the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is from the fruit of being a good person. And God is not interested in you just being a good person. That is a fruit. He is interested in working out salvation in your life. When people look at you, when you come, when we every day when we have our devotion time, you know what's happening? We're becoming more like Jesus. So everything else is automatic. Everything else works out. This was the success of the early church. Did you know that? They did not call themselves Christians. They were known to be Christians. And do you know what Christians really mean? Little Christ. In fact, the early church, when the persecution started, it was so scary to be a Christian, they would identify themselves as Christians. How? By who they were. Some of them will communicate and would draw a line like this and then another line and guess where we get the fish from. They would identify themselves as Christians because they were so scared because of the, what God was doing through their life. It was such an automatic that an entire empire was scared of who they are because they could not stop Jesus inside of them. See, their faith, the Israelites' faith, was in Moses. And God desired their faith to be personal. See, up until then, they were following Moses. Like, oh my goodness, I can't believe Moses did all this fun stuff and the Nile turned into blood. Oh my goodness, Moses has a connection with God. That's awesome. Let's follow Moses. The only problem is God gave Moses instructions. He is an intimate God. Do you know what that means? It's a little weird, I know, because the word intimate and the connotations in our culture today. But he wants to know your inner thoughts. He wants to know your struggles. Why does he want to do that? Because he filters our motives. He filters our motives. One of the things that I love that the Lord is doing in my personal life is He is removing everything inside of me that is not needed for this journey. One of the things I love about being a pastor here is I've started from scratch. There's nothing that I'm doing any week that I feel like I've done in the past 15 years of ministry. I could. I got some sermons in the back pocket, you know what I mean? (laughs) Week gets busy, I might pull one out. And the Lord says, "Uh uh-uh. Now, it's not just a fresh word for you guys, praise God for you. You're like, well, he's earning his pay, praise God. You know, he's actually coming up with fresh messages, but it's for me. You understand? When I read the word of God, my prayer is, God, Are you working things out? Is this for me or is this for the church? Because I don't want to be one of them preachers that keep preaching and nothing's going on in the inside. 
I want to change from the inside. God, filter my motives. How do you know when God's working on the inside when your motives are wrong? Oh, yeah. When you're talking more about what you need and what you want, there's a good chance you're misaligned with the filters that God has for your life. When you say that something should be a certain way, your preference, there's a good chance something on the inside is not right. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have desires that God wants us to have. I am saying that if something on the inside is not right, God is interested in that place. See, it leads us to pray, doesn't it? When God is working a personal salvation out. It humbles us, doesn't it? It humbles us onto our knees. It allows us to get close to what he is doing in our lives. James chapter 5 verse 13 says this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. You know, it's amazing. When we suffer, we actually go to God last. We try to fix it on our own. Psalm 107, 6 says, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. They cried out to their Lord in their trouble. How many of us have adjusted to the trouble of our life? Have we cried out to the Lord? See, we want rest and we want assurance. But we forget to involve this personal experience of salvation in our life. It's more important than what you do for a living. It's more important than volunteering at a church. It's more important than anything you could do for God, allowing him to work out salvation personally in your life. Did you know that? Yes, it's routine. <laughs> it's kind of boring. It's kind of exciting at times, but more importantly, you are in the will of God. Here's the second reason why he allows you to be in impossible situations. The second reason, you ready for this? He makes us rely on his strength. If you feel weak as a Christian, it ain't weak enough. There's nothing we can do that impresses God. Do you hear me? Moses answered the people. (laughs) I love this. Do not be afraid. Okay, we've heard that before many times in the Bible. We get it. Don't be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, will never, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still or at peace or silent. See, a personal salvation leads us to rely on the power of Jesus. How many of us have the power of Jesus alive in our lives? How many of us can walk into Dave's this afternoon? And literally see someone struggling and the power of God is inside of you that you can extend it and literally pray for somebody and their life literally transforms, not because of you, but because of what God is doing through you. How many of us can walk in on a Monday morning into an impossible, crazy workplace 
and say that the very presence of God is there because you are there. Can you imagine the stories of Smith Wigglesworth? How many of you guys have heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Where he would enter a, into a bus, lips tied, zipped, and people would begin to just weep and cry and be like, what is going on? Because that personal salvation experience becomes so entwined with who we are. I believe maybe some of our sweats ought to say, Jesus. Some of our perspiration is like, man, this is different. This person is different. See, this is too elementary for us. We want to know how to. And it is not how to get this power. It is who you need to go visit so that this power can be alive in your life. See, God does not need us to be strong. Quit going to the gym. Do you understand what I'm saying? Not physically, but you know what I mean, spiritually. Some of us, man, we are on a treadmill for like 25 years. And you're looking good, but the, I mean, I'm like, you didn't need to do that. Do you understand what I'm saying? The practical nature of what happens on the inside, okay, when the Lord takes care, it eventually overflows into our life. See, back in the early days, life wasn't this uh, complicated. The early church, we didn't have all the stuff to manage and to become and all this knowledge. And it's not a bad thing to read. I love reading and to, I love to learn. But at some point, we have to say, all this reading, all this learning, all this serving, all this community service, all of these committees we're part of, and all these teams that we're doing, all this energy, is the power of God alive in us? Or are we just doing, just because that's what Scripture said so? You know, I had a conversation this week, um, yesterday actually, I was doing a, a home visit, and I was just hanging out with a couple of our members, friends, and... Uh, I was telling them, you know, when the, the Jewish rabbis teach the importance of the Word of God in the student's life, you know what they do. They actually take honey from the verse. Your word is like honey. And they put honey on the lips. So they can tangibly, physically get the picture that the Word of God is like honey on the lips. So many of us have been taught wrong. We just got like, that's a cute verse. It's like honey on my lips. And we just think it's a cute metaphor. But the truth is, it needs to be sweet on our lips. When God touches us, it needs to be alive in our lives. It's that basic. But some of us, we want to go from A to D. And God's saying, "Uh uh-uh. In order to get to D, there's B and C. And you have to do it His way. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this, But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. Wow. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, Paul says, so that the power of Christ may rest Upon me, some of us, 
we need to stop being so strong. We need to stop being so cool, collected, and calm. And you got to allow your weaknesses and your transparency to be led by the power of Christ so that you and the world around you can be transformed. Again, it is not what you can do. It is who you can be like. See, I think there's rest in silence. I like that what Moses said. You know, he told the people, you only need to be still, in peace, in silence. Some of our lives, I know it's crazy. We've got health problems. We've got situations happening in our families. We've got money issues. I don't even know how some of you may be sleeping at night. But the truth is, the Lord has asked me to tell you this morning, you need to be still. You need to be still. You cannot try to make things happen outside of his will. Dallas Willard, in his Disciplines of Abstinence, Ways of Denying Ourselves Something We Need in Order to Make a Space to Focus on God and Connect with God, he talks about the difference between solitude and silence. This is his definition of solitude. Refraining from interacting with other people in order to be alone with God and be found by Him. Silence, not speaking in a quiet place in order to quiet our minds and hold self and attend to God's presence. Also, not speaking so that we can listen to others and bless them. Notice that silence is when we are not speaking in a quiet place in order to quiet our minds and hold self and attend to God's presence. Do you know that our lives signify worship to Him in the quiet times as well? The moments that are kind of boring, calm, nothing's going on, God, I'm lost control. I don't have the strength to do what you've asked me to do. God, there's enemies looking, lurking. God, I I don't think it panned out the way I thought it was going to. Do you know that in those quiet moments, God is doing a deep work inside of your soul? God is speaking in a way that only you and him can gather Only you and him can be a part of. It's intimate. See, God makes us rely on his strength. And I'm glad that I have him. Not in my back pocket. I'm I'm glad I have him in my life. Taking care of business. (laughs) Business, like they say in Atlanta. Taking care of business. Number three, reason why I believe he puts us in impossible situations. He positions us to move into mature faith. Are you ready for this? He positions us to move into mature faith. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? (laughs) He had a different standard for Moses, didn't he? It's like, wait a minute, God, I'm trying to be the negotiator in between the people. And you, 
And why are you saying, why am I crying out to you? Because I don't know what to do. You told me to bring everybody here. I'm in this impossible situation. Why are you mad at me, God? He said, the Lord said to him, tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea. Moses must have been thinking, of course, it's always my fault, right? To divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. God says, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them to save time. Verse 19, then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them. Coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. There comes a time in your walk with God. When God literally is not going to be ahead of you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mature faith recognizes that maybe he's behind. I don't know what's ahead of me. Mature faith actually gets you to a place of saying, I don't have him leading me, but that's okay because he's behind me. See, the cloud by day was covering over them from the heat. The pillars of fire by night was so that they would be safe and warm. What are we going to do when the benefits of God are taken from in front of you and put behind you? Are you going to go forward into the impossible situation? I think this was something that the Lord was trying to teach the Israelites. I'm going to show you not only a supernatural miracle and show you that I can part the waters and you can walk through dry land. But I want to show you that if you follow me, that nothing is impossible for you. Why? Because we serve an impossible, making possible God. That's what he loves to do. Some of us, when we have hardships in our lives, and God's doing so much inside of our souls and spirits, we run from what God is doing. And God is saying, don't, don't run. Go towards. Some of us, we don't feel God. Some of us, we've even said the statement, like, I, I don't hear from God anymore. I feel like God is quiet. And I want to encourage you today. Maybe he is quiet, but he's behind you. See, mature faith moves from reacting Oh, I can't believe this is going on. I can't believe this is a crazy week. God, take it away, take it away, take it away, take it away. It moves from reacting to responding. Mature faith sees the hand of God protecting even when I can't see him because he's behind me. Mature faith senses God is not just ahead of you. He's always behind you. As a mature follower of Jesus, we ought to recognize the hand of God, not only when he provides for our needs 
or he supplies our needs, but when he supports us in the process. Not only when he leads us and he's doing all these miraculous signs, but when he's busy defending us behind our back. That's what mature faith is. See, often the brightest miracles of God come in the darkest moments of our lives. This is the reason why. All this was going on in the background with the Israelites during the nighttime. You talk about sleepless nights. When you got an entire army with with the best machinery, equipment coming to take you out and kill you. And you don't even see them coming. And I want you to picture that in your mind. The provision of God literally goes away from the front. See, when the waters parted, the pillar of fire and the cloud didn't go ahead of them. It was behind them. Scripture later teaches us that what had happened when the Egyptians actually got into the water, the Egyptians actually got a glimpse of who God was. You can read it, the rest of the chapter. Through the pillar of fire. And they made this statement. Oh my goodness. We messed with the wrong God. Oh boy. You talk about victory as believers in the faith. You don't even know what's happening behind you folks. Some of the victories that we have. We ought to give God thanks. Just because we don't even know what he has done. How much he has rescued us. How much he's taking care of us. How much he's looking out for us. How much he has positioned us to go towards what he's given us and what he's called us to. And we always, always forget what he's done behind us. But some of us, we got to get into mature faith and say, God, I recognize that there are things that I don't even know or fathom that you have done on my behalf. And you have taken care of me. That some of these battles that I think I have to face and go backwards, the Lord is saying, no, I got it. I got it. We are to embrace the promises of God. I believe when we serve God in unexpected ways, God moves on our behalf in unexpected ways. That is the bottom line. When we move towards God, all of a sudden, you start worrying more about what he thinks than what's happening in your life. This is the journey of salvation. Proverbs 4, 18, 19 says, But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. What's it do? It shines brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. I don't care how long it's going to take. And brighter and brighter and brighter. You can stick with the Lord. I'm telling you, it's going to get brighter until it is full day. I don't care about the impossible situation you're facing right now. The truth is this. Whether it's here on earth or in heaven, it will become full day. And there's nothing you can do to help. I know this is an old school faith message with nothing practical attached to it. I'll come to it in a second. Exodus 15 verse 2 on the other side of it all. 
I mean, can you imagine in our lives seeing victory like never before? God doing this stuff and the water's coming in, taking out your enemy. It's a big party. And I love this account of what happened. Moses and the people all erupt in song. You know it's got to be a party when everyone's just singing and not even yelling anymore and be like, hey, I'd rather die in Egypt. They are singing. The Lord is my strength and my song. And he has become my... You know, every time God moves in your life, that's what he's doing. He's working out salvation in your life. Some of us, we forget so easily. Do you know where you can be without Jesus? I know where I would be. I would know where I am today. Without Jesus in my life, it's safe to say, maybe even I wouldn't be alive. There was a time in my life when I was really heavy into drinking and drugs. A lifestyle that is so crazy, you won't believe. I remember telling the Lord in my college dorm room, well, it was another person's college dorm room, and saying, God, would you give me a chance to live out this faith? And I can tell you that has been the best decision I have ever made. I didn't say a prayer. I didn't fill out a connect card. I didn't have anybody give me a Bible. I didn't have any friends that were pastors. I didn't have a local church. I just had salvation in my life. A desperate cry from my heart saying, God, if I have you in my life, I think, I think everything will work out. And some of us, we need to approach God not from a practical, analytical, reasoning type of a situation. We have to approach God and say, I'm not God, you are. So as I get closer to you, Lord, would you answer my questions? Some of us, we won't go near to God until he answers questions and God's saying, "Uh uh-uh, that's not the order. Take a chance on me. Come follow me and I will show you the answers to your questions. Let's pray today. God, I thank you that we are rest assured. We can be at rest. We have full assurance God, this is not a cute sermon. This is a sermon that goes beyond our ability to become more Christian. It's a sermon that reaches deep into our hearts to check the motives of why we do what we do. If you're in this place today and you're facing an impossible situation, I want you to know God has not left you. God's not going to leave you. God wants to be your strength. All you need to do is to allow him to walk with you.